Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I am finally talking to Jerry Whitworth. How are you, Jerry? I'm great, thanks. It took me a year to get you in here. Uh, yeah, probably, yeah. You were like, when I made a list of guests that I was going to have on here, you were right up there uh, among the first guys. took me a year to get you here. I'm honored to be at the top of the list. I'm sorry it took so long, but yeah, the schedules uh, make it tough. You're a busy man. Here. Yeah. For the people who don't know you, and that's just about everybody listening, you are a, uh, a producer, a TV uh, producer. Correct. I'm a TV reality producer. Okay. Which is a producer-director kind of rolled into one. Right. And I work on uh, reality television shows mostly for Discovery or the History Channel. Um, I worked for five years on the TV show uh, Survivor. And while on Survivor, I got a chance to travel and experience these amazing places, uh, which was pretty, pretty incredible. And what that did was really give me a flavor for... That kind of thing, that you, kind of travel. You were on one of the first, uh, were you on the first season? or the... Actually, I was hired, it's actually a fascinating story about how I got We'll be the, the judge show. of that. Really? <laughs> Trust me, it works every time I tell it. All right. Uh, do you want to hear the story yeah, of absolutely. how I got yeah, onto yeah. the show? Yes. Well, in about 2000 or 2001, I had finished a, a job here. I was previously had a different career where I was a casting director for movies and TV. And I'd finished a job, and it was a pretty good TV job, and it was the first time I ever had any money in my pocket. And I wanted to go backpacking in Europe. I'd never been. I didn't know anything about it. And it was pre the age of the Internet, kind of, if you really think about it, in 2000, 2001. Right. So, uh, We're still I said, in dial-up mode then. Well, everybody was <laughs> yeah. dial-up mode. That's yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> AOL. Um, they, uh, so... I set off, and you know, here's the thing about traveling, as we all know, if you've done enough traveling, is that if you say, hey, I want to go to South America, I'd literally go to Brazil, three of your friends are going to go, let's do it. And then when it comes down to actually going, none of the three are going, and you're going by yourself. I know this very well. Right. And that's what I admired about you as a traveler, is you (laughs) just decided, I'm not waiting for anybody, I'm just going to go on my own. And that's how I do it. If you want to come along... Or if your schedule works out, great. But if it doesn't, see you later. I'll send you a postcard. Yeah, I learned a long time ago that if you wait for someone else to go with, you'll never go. That happened too many times. Yeah. So in this particular case, off I went to Europe with a backpack. And uh, For how long? Uh, well, I, originally it was supposed to be like three or four weeks. And I ended up uh, going to the Cannes Film Festival as to start because a film I had worked on was going to screen there, not actually be in the festival, but screen. So that was like, perfect. That's how I'm starting my trip. I'm going to make my (laughs) way to the Cannes Film Festival, and then from there, whatever. Um, So that's what I did. Made it to Cannes, hooked up with my friends there. Uh, We promoted the film, uh, went to some parties, met some people. And um, from there, the people I had met at Cannes, who all lived in different places, like London or Amsterdam or Rome or whatever, then I, then I had people to go see. The people <laughs> I just met were going to be my, my connections in whatever city that I went to. So what happened there in, in Cannes was I met a group of friends, and we all started hanging out and then driving around the countryside and goofing off. And then when it was time to leave the festival or leave Cannes, then we all went to Rome together as a group. 
people I just met. So we traveled on the train late at night and made it there uh, to Rome. And then we kind of stayed in similar places then split off. But I really bonded with a few of the people. And then what happened is once we left there, then I started hooking up or connecting with people who I'd met at Cannes. The guy, I went to London eventually, and I, and I hooked up with some guys I'd met there, and they showed me all around London and some parties and some things. And when I went to Amsterdam, the same thing. The guys I'd met at, in, at the festival, then I hooked up with them, and they showed me all about Amsterdam from like a local perspective. Yeah, it's and, the best way to see any place. Which is great. Like We didn't really travel around seeing a bunch of stuff. We just literally hung out in the, in the town. And then... It turned out that I loved Amsterdam so much that after I went back, when I went to London, and then when I decided to make a trip back, and there, those guys, by then, offered to let me stay in their apartment. So when I went back to Amsterdam the second time, I just stayed in their apartment, and I took the bus into town, and like I was living there. Right. Even though I was only there for like a week or two, it was it was a blast. And so that's one of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. If you don't meet anybody who's local if you don't learn anything about the local culture or scenery or places to go or things to eat then it's kind of boring i mean you might as well just read it in a book right? yeah yeah um so the best adventures you have and the best travel always include meeting local people who take you someplace the same thing happened in rome i met some guy when i was walking around doing a tour of something uh, maybe it was the tour guide. Yeah, it was the tour guide, actually. And she was married, uh, and there was a young couple, and they were Americans, I believe. And they said, oh, we'll come to dinner. So, you know, they took me to a dinner, which was down an alley behind a building and behind another alley. And there was little tables set up in an alley someplace where only the locals went. Oh, and wow. there we were sitting at a table having this amazing uh, <laughs> a meal, which wouldn't have happened if you hadn't started a conversation or hadn't engaged with someone. It is one of the harder things, of course, because there may or may not be language issues, but it almost always pays off to engage somehow with the local fisherman or your taxi driver or someone who's a tour guide or just a random person that you talk to in a museum. You never know what it's going to you, you never know where it's going to go and come back with the greatest stories. So did Survivor come out of this trip? While I was on this trip, eventually I ended up in Prague which is someplace I wanted to go. Mm -hmm. Where I just was in the fall, which I loved. It was beautiful. Yeah, yeah, was it? See, I was there just on the edge of winter. Actually, that's another part of the story. <laughs> you know, one of the things I've learned over the years about traveling is there's two things you should always take with you, no matter where. Even if you're getting on a plane just to go from here to Oklahoma City. Condoms? Take a, take oh, a, um, take a jacket. <laughs> yeah. And a towel. A towel. The towel is from... Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I was just going to say that. But in, in reality, it's one of the most practical things you could ever put in your backpack. <laughs> it can be a towel. It can be a blanket. It can be a pillow. It can be clothes. If you lose your clothes, it could be a thousand things. It can pack some intricate piece of crystal that you bought for your mother, and it'll mm -hmm. pack it safely. I mean, it's a million. So I never leave without some kind of a towel, even the small travel towels that fit in your thing. Uh, they work They work for a dozen reasons. And then uh, to have a jacket. And the reason for a jacket, even if it's the summertime, is that you might miss a plane. You might have a plane that's flight that's canceled. And you might end up in an airport in Denver where the air conditioning unit in the airport. And you're there for eight hours. And you're in a T-shirt. I actually saw this when I was in Denver. 
a few years ago, traveling through and got on a plane and a giant storm hit, snowstorm, dropped about six inches of snow in 10 minutes. We were already on the plane and then they ready to taxi off when they shut down the airport. We all had to exit and go out of the airport, try to find a place to to, uh, stay for the night. Was Uh, this right after the airport opened? Because I was in Denver, and it, 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 it was like right out when the airport was new. It was some freak October snowstorm, and I was there. I got My flight was canceled. and Well, it could have been because this was probably I was like 2002. 2000 2001, yeah, something like two, that. Well, it was 2002 probably. And it just because dumped. It, it dumped like I'd never seen. And there's one highway that leads out to that airport, Correct. and it was right. snowed over. You couldn't, and it would just as soon as they plow it, it would drift over again. Well, what was happening was, in order to get out of the airport, just you had people trying to use a phone that was that was a, that was waiting in line to use a phone, yeah. to call a hotel that was open, and then they would hand the phone to the next person. And the person would book a room, and the next person would book a room, and the next person would book a room, and and the the reason for traveling with a jacket was highlighted in that particular example because when we finally booked a room on that phone, and then we went outside to try to get a taxi into town because the airport's not in town, we stood in a foot of snow and slush, <laughs> and I had, guess what. My jacket, my gloves, even though we were traveling in warmer temperatures, I took a leather jacket, a little hoodie, a pair of gloves were stuffed in there, and a pair of long underwear were stuffed in my bag. And guess what? There I was, standing. I'd put on my long johns. I put on my jacket. I had my gloves and a stocking cap on or a beanie. And there I was, standing next to a guy in his Hawaiian shirt and (laughs) flip-flops. Yeah. And he's standing in a foot of snow without his bag, without anything. That's another thing about traveling uh, that I've learned over the years is people love to pack all their stuff into a big bag, then check it, and then walk onto the plane with their ticket in their hand, and that's nothing. Yeah. I don't understand that because there's a perfect example. That guy literally had nothing. He had his wallet, his shorts, (laughs) flip-flops, and a Hawaiian shirt, and he was stuck. We were stuck there for three days. Three days? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Right. We were stuck in a hotel room. In the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, luckily, we had a hotel room. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. Know. So. Uh, well, the, uh, it's funny that you say that. One of the um, coldest like layovers I ever had was the. Uh, it was a couple of years ago. It was in December. It was I was going to Belize, the Miami airport. The Miami airport is freezing, freezing. Example. And perfect. Is, and it was a cold snap, so it was about thirty uh-huh. something degrees, like forty degrees in the forties in Miami. So of course they're freaking out. The place right. is not insulated at all. No, it's freezing in there. And I had a, you know, I got in at like earlier in the morning. I had like a four hour layover or three hour layover. I was, I had, I was wearing jeans and a jacket. Still, people were walking around in gloves. This is Miami. Right. Wow. And, so, and if you think Miami. You got people come in from all over the place. They're dressed tropical. You know, they're, they got not freezing. Right. It's a perfect freezing. example. Right. It, it, the, the, the point is you have to be prepared. It's the old Boy Scout thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's something that I shared with my mother recently when this, the leader of my Boy Scout troop when I was a kid passed away. And I told my mom this story. Um, I was involved in Boy Scouts for only a week, basically. And I, did, I wanted to go on a camp out with all the kids. So 
I went on the camp out and I went to the camp out and my parents said, okay, see ya. I get to the camp out and I'm at all the tents are set up and we're in our little stretchy cots and whatever. And uh, my roommate, my tent mate says, oh, so do you have your, any your gear and do you have, did you bring any food and all that stuff? And I said, uh, no, why? He goes, well, what'd you bring? I go, nothing. A towel, jacket. No, that's before I learned, that's before I learned about the towel and jacket. But this is where I learned it from. And uh, the, what I shared with my mother was that this, this, uh, the scout leader, Don, was a longtime family friend of ours. And when he realized that I had come on the trip with literally nothing, then he brought me to his big tent where he had some snacks and some food and stuff and let me eat some of his food and then sort of under his wing said, well, look, here's, here's how this works. You're supposed to bring stuff. Yeah. And I was so naive at like seven or eight years old, I had no idea. But the lesson I learned from that and I told my mother the story when Don recently passed away, and I had never told her, and she didn't realize that. She goes, "That's amazing." So, um, so, so to get back, so that lesson as a small kid taught me to try to be prepared, and that's what I do today is in daily life and when I travel. I try to have that my backpack when I I carry a backpack separate from all my luggage when I travel. Yeah, me too. And the reason is if your luggage is lost. Yeah, you, you, have you should enough. always assume that it is lost. You're so going you to assume. Get by, always assume that it's going to be not going to make it, and then you you can at least last a couple nights with whatever I bring. I bring like a spare underwear, of course, all my you know your toiletry bag, any kind of medicines you need. People pack all this stuff away. They check unbelievable things when their bag gets lost. You hear them screaming, "But my uh, insulin's my in there." Medication. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My <laughs> heart you're medication. Moron, you're oh my god. <laughs> My glycerin pills are in there. Yeah, my super expensive camera. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, right. (laughs) If you've traveled at all, if you have any kind of common sense, it only makes sense that you travel with that backpack with the stuff you need to survive. Now, I don't mean survive because the world's going to end, but I mean survive when something goes wrong. When you get to Phoenix and that flight is canceled for a mechanical issue, and then you have to wait till the next morning in the Phoenix airport... Uh, because maybe you didn't have enough money with you or you packed yeah. your car, credit cards in the suitcase or whatever. <laughs> your bag is gone. It's either lost or it went on to the next city or it went to the wrong city. It happens all the time. Yeah, just because you showed up doesn't mean your bag made it. No, so why not travel with your backpack with the things that you need? The, the, that's all of your toiletries. That's... Uh, Tickets, uh, itineraries, uh, phone well, numbers. Right, sure. Any of that stuff. Phone Electro- chargers. All of your electronical gear, <laughs> yeah. elect- all of your electrical gear, equipment, everything goes in the bag. I never put anything in my check-in that is, is valuable. No, it's just In clothes. any way, shape, or form. It's, it's only free, clothes. It's always clothes. So every- Which you can get anywhere. Right. You can buy more clothes. But yeah. your computer and phone and all the attachments that go to it, uh, anything of any value, cameras, hard drive backups that you have, all that stuff, I literally carry it in my bag with me, and it never leaves my body. Right. It goes with me. And then I, when I get on a plane, before I get on, I have a separate smaller bag that has stuff that I'll need during the flight. Oh, like reading Eye drops, material? And, reading yeah. material, your iPod and, and magazine, your sleeping pillow thing for, that goes around your yeah. neck. <laughs> uh, um, those sorts of things go in a tiny mini bag that I toss under the seat. 
That way, I don't have to get up during the flight. I don't have to wake up two other people if I'm on the win- at the window seat to get to my bag, dig around in it in the middle of the night to try to find something. What I usually need is right there in the mini bag. That's snacks. I carry my own snacks right. in the bag. Uh, I often, uh, almost 99% of the time, I carry my own water or drink of some sort because in a, in a late-night flight from here to from L.A. to New York – you know, what if you're really thirsty and everybody's asleep? <laughs> Including the flight attendants. There's That's like one correct. of them awake. They're taking a nap. Yeah. <laughs> and you have your own water. You have your own snacks. You have your own your reading glasses. You have your vitamins or medication or something for a headache. Like it's all in your little bag under, at your feet. We're going to get to Survivor eventually. So maybe. My goodness. These are valuable tips. These I know. Are needed. I, we've, yeah, we've given a lot of uh, useful information here. Well, these are, these are the things for me that I've learned from, from my years of travel, and I No, I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. I share them with other people. In fact, a perfect, we've learned these lessons hard, the hard way, usually. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Correct. Uh, and, well, because, to get back to Prague for a second, the perfect example is I showed up in Prague, and a cold spell happened. I didn't have a jacket. For that kind of summer travel, I was traveling through Europe in the summertime. Yeah. Well, guess what? Next thing I know, I'm down at a shop buying a leather jacket, <laughs> and a, and a stock and a little beanie. So that was a perfect example of like, okay, I should have had a jacket. I just shouldn't have had to spend. Although yeah. I bought the coolest black You're- leather jacket ever, <laughs> so it was. I do. I still own it today, and it's pretty cool. Yeah. But, at Euro prices, you're at lucky. Euro you're- prices, yeah, yeah, which wasn't bad, but but. So anyway. That plus a buddy of mine just uh, emailed me the other day, and he posted actually on my Facebook. He says, Jerry Whitworth's travel tip number one, never leave without a jacket, (laughs) which is true. And he didn't the other day. He travels all the time, and he ran out of the door without a jacket, warm enough outside, and he was going to Phoenix or someplace. But guess what? Weather changed. He was stuck somewhere, freezing his ass off, had to go buy a jacket. Right, and he had he had traveled a hundred times uh, in the same location, and he knew. Oh, Jerry, he knew it, and that's why he posted it on my Facebook. <laughs> yeah, um, and uh, so you get so, to Prague. You're in so a cold anyway, snap. so to 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 make our journey all the way back to our original story, <laughs> which was I got a chance to come onto the TV show Survivor when I was on that European backpacking trip, and I was in Prague. A buddy of mine who had become a producer doing wildlife documentaries types of shows, uh, was always sending me his journals from the field. So I read his journals about tracking gorillas in the mist and kinds of things and lions on the Sahara or, or, or out, on the, out, in the, um, you know, out on the plains of Africa and these sorts of things. I was fascinated by this stuff, and I was like looking for a way that I could somehow do something more adventurous than my desk job as a casting director. Well, lo and behold, when I'm in Prague, I rent an old apartment instead of a hotel, which was really cool, living in an old lady's apartment out yeah. in some little suburb of outside of Prague, actually. Well, uh, you have to because the, the tourist center is pretty expensive. Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was really cool. Well, there's an internet cafe nearby. Okay. So it was the earliest days of me being on the internet, so I would go check the email. I didn't have that many emails to check because I didn't email <laughs> yeah, much. Right. But what I did was I checked an email, and I got an email from my buddy Adam. And he says, hey, where are you on your trip? Uh, i got a job possibility for you. I'd love to bring you on as my associate producer on this new TV show. He knew that I was looking for a chance to transition from, from casting directing to producing. Yeah. 
So he was saying, "Hey, are, what do you think of this?" He says, "It would, it would be it, the show. It's the show is Survivor Africa." Now, since he had done a lot of wildlife shows, I just assumed that Survivor Africa meant a wildlife show. And I said, cool, I'm in. I read down the thing, and it said it'd be great to work together on a project like this and work together on America's number one show. Number one show? (laughs) What's he talking about? I scroll back up the email, and I see where it says Survivor-Africa meaning season three of Survivor, which was going to be shot in Africa, he was offering me a chance to transition from my desk to working on Survivor. So not only do you change jobs, you change jobs into the best reality show, the going at the at that time. I was changing into You're not the, going to like some little side show. You're going to the biggest show on TV. There. Correct. I, I, I got the A ticket to the biggest show. That's a nice, that's a nice call. That's a nice email to get. It's the best email ever. <laughs> and uh, So you went to Africa. So what happened is I had literally that day just extended my trip. I was having so much fun in Amsterdam and Prague that I extended my trip an extra 12 days. And in those days, you had to physically go to the office and oh, stand yeah, in yeah. line and do all this mumbo jumbo in order to get another paper ticket and pay a whole bunch of money. Like I paid another $500 or whatever it was to change the ticket. And I, and I told him, ouch, I w- would love to, but I just extended my trip. He says, is there any way you can change it and come back here and meet the executive producer? Well, <laughs> um, gee, I don't really want to do that. I'm having the backpacking trip of my life, something I'd always wanted to do. And the other part of the story is I never did that when I was younger. Um, I never did it when I was 20. I didn't have the money and I didn't even understand what it was. But when I was a little older, I was backpacking um, by myself and just having a a blast as if I was 20 years old. Yeah. Right. And and learning all these things about the world I'd never seen or even imagined. So that was your first trip out of the country? Yeah. At that point? Yeah. For people who don't know, you're from a small town in Kansas. Correct. The heart of the country. I was born and raised in a little tiny town like Mayberry with one stoplight, <laughs> and most people never leave the city limits of a small town like that. Yeah, uh, I had at least imagined from watching television as a kid, you know, like uh, watching uh, at least the Brady Bunch episode about Hawaii uh, or <laughs> Gilligan's Island, that there were other places in the right. world somewhere out there. With I don't not know so where. much corn? Yeah, with not as much corn or cows. Um, <laughs> So anyway, uh, when I got to uh, when when I had that conversation with Adam, or at least the emails, I started a string of emails where I said, "Is there any way I can get the job without coming all the way back, interviewing for the job, and not getting the job?" Because I'm like I'm having the time of my life, right? Then you cut it short, and right, I cut know. it short, and then what? Yeah, yeah. And so, and more often, these things don't work out. Sure. So I took a huge gamble. I said, "Is there any way I can get the job without flying all the way back to the states and meeting the guy?" He says, let me work on it. So then my travel from there and for the next five or six or eight days was emails uh, in Paris and in Amsterdam uh, <laughs> in my next stops where I was checking and updating uh, along the way as he fought for the chance for me to get the job without flying all the way home. Yeah. Uh, so eventually, it's a great story. Uh, I, I meet up with a, high school, a college buddy of mine who happens to be in Paris on business. So I carry my backpack into his fancy five-star hotel and stay, <laughs> and stay in his room 
uh, and use his internet and use his laundry service, in which I did my laundry. It cost IBM $80. It didn't cost me anything. Um, and the same way in Amsterdam. He came to Amsterdam, and then we hung out in Amsterdam. Uh, so I had my college buddy with me who just happened to be uh, um, – who just happened to be traveling on business at the same time as me, which was really fascinating. So you really were taking your uh, post-college you know, backpacking trip around Europe. You were just doing it 10 years later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> your college buddy's there. It all worked out. And, and we're using his IBM account yes. to do some of it. You're doing yeah. it in a better way. Right. It was. So did you have to fly back and get the no. job? And they gave it to you without Here's what happened. Uh, I, when I got to Paris, I checked the emails again, and that's where we were staying in his nice fancy hotel, and I was using his internet. Finally, we get to a situation where he says, look, if you can prove how badly you want this job by going to get your start your series of shots that you need, your travel shots, there, it'll prove to him that you, you really want the job. What do you mean start your series of shots? Well, you need to get the series of travel shots, right, and you work on TV shows because it's required, you know, your immunizations. Oh, your shot. I thought yeah, you meant yeah. camera shots. Your shot. Oh, no, no, no. Your shots. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> your, like... your immunizations, you need to do that. So uh, yeah, I yeah. said, okay. Especially if you're going to Africa, right. you need a, a million shots. Going to Kenya, yeah. So what I did was I, I searched out the American Hotel in Paris, and I, I walked an hour to where it was, and I waited and I talked to someone, and I started my first series of shots. In fact, today, my little yellow immunization book is, yeah. is in French <laughs> that I carry in my passport. Um, so I got that series of shots. I emailed them back and said, look, I started the shots. Uh, I can return on such and such a date. And then I waited. So by the next day, he got back to me and said, okay, you're in. Awesome. Because the, the producer had to go to the location in Africa. He couldn't wait. And I was going to miss him if I didn't cut my short cut short right. my trip. So uh, did you go straight to Africa from there? No, I flew all the way home to pack. Yeah, right? <laughs> but I literally flew home, got rid of my apartment, and put my stuff in storage, and went to Africa. Literally like six days later. And how long so, a shoot is that? The shoot is only f- the the show is thirty nine days. So you're usually there about forty four days. Oh, wow. In the heart of Africa, in the heart of Kenya, in the Samburu. Um, so, he, he, so here's what happened. I'm backpacking for the first time in my life through Europe. I get an offer to work on this show. I fight for the chance to get the job but not fly all the way home. I take a gamble. It pays off. I get the job. I finish my trip in Europe. I go home. I put all my stuff in storage. I pack my gear. And a couple of days later... I'm getting off a plane in Kenya. I went from my desk to backpacking in Europe and extending the trip to a few days later standing in the middle of Kenya and just being amazed by the first night I had uh, uh, a shift at night for the job. I was associate producer. And at nighttime with the contestants who are on the show, you're the person who stays with them by yourself. So I was... I. I it was mind-blowing what had happened to me suddenly. I'm sitting in the middle of this TV show in the middle of Kenya, hundreds of miles from civilization, looking at the stars and listening to the elephants and the lions who are, that are just feet away from where I'm at. In the feet pitch away? Dark. Yeah, yeah. In the show, the contestants in that, in that season lived in a boma, which is a thorny bush 
fortress you make out of bushes. Okay. And they lived inside that at nighttime. And I lived inside it with them because you needed that to protect you from the lions and, and elephants. Wow. They won't, they won't come near the thorny bushes. But literally, they're right outside making noises. And in the morning, when you open the thing up, uh, they're the footprints. But you can hear the elephants because the elephants knock down the trees in order to eat the leaves that they can't reach with their, with their trunks. Mm-hmm. So they literally sounds like a bulldozer just knocking down trees during the night. <laughs> uh, that was, that, that, I went from my desk to that. And it was amazing as I sat there underneath those stars and thought to myself, wow. Wow. Any close calls? Did you ever really think you were in danger at some point? Uh, well, interesting enough, I was a little naive about how dangerous it was. We didn't really have security that were around to to really protect us. Still, we, but there's that thing in your head that you're going, well, it's a TV show. What could happen to us? We're the crew. Well, correct. Now, <laughs> we that, we that, control the environment. Well, we're living in the, in the environment on a, in a giant game reserve where these creatures really are. And what I was doing was leaving the security of the Boma and going to, you know, a mile away to what was a camera tent where we had some gear and some other things uh, stashed. And I would make trips back and forth to the thing for various different stuff all through the night. And even though there was supposed to be local Kenyan guys in the bushes with guns, I never saw them. So (laughs) later after the fact, now I've often sat back and gone, what was I thinking? I was walking through... The I was walking through this Africa in the middle of the night with no protection whatsoever. Wow. Uh, but during the day, I did encounter a few elephants who ended up on our trail. Well, the most dangerous uh, creatures there actually are the water buffalo. Oh, really? Yeah. People don't realize that more people are killed by the water buffaloes than other creatures because the water buffalo are aggressive and angry, and if they see you, they'll charge you. So we've, we encountered that, too. We learned that, and we would hide behind trees or do whatever we could to avoid them. But I did literally walk from the, from the camp to the camera camp one night, one morning when I got off my night shift, and literally walk right into the elephants. There they were, standing <laughs> on the human trail. And, but we've been taught not to panic or not to do anything aggressive. So I literally stopped in my tracks, remembered what I was told, which was move slowly backwards and out of the way, which is what I did. I backed up slowly, keep an eye on them the whole time, move over to the right, around some trees and up over a rock and go away. So guess I did the right thing. <laughs> You're still here to tell the tale. Yeah, right. So you, you did that season, and then when did Thailand come into all this? Didn't you shoot something out there? Visits in Thailand. Well, the next I season you did a Survivor episode out there. I, I did, I, but the next season that I did for Survivor was in Thailand. Okay, and actually, I'd been to Thailand before. The only other trip I'd made outside of the country was a trip to Thailand with a couple of my college buddies, and we went to go diving and explore Thailand a little bit. In fact, that's where I got dive certified was when I was in Thailand. Oh, really? Yeah. We're down in uh, like Koh Phi or? Uh, yes. Uh, in, uh, was it Phuket? I believe it was in Phuket. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, that doesn't sound right. Samui? Samui. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's what it was. I got dive certified when we went to Samui. We went to Phuket and Samui. Was well, that where you met Carter? That's where I met Carter. Yeah, he was yes. the dive guy. Right. And That's which, okay. Our friend Carter, who uh, I've had on this show, who I just interviewed when I was there back in uh, November. Well, it's funny because I met Carter 
at a at, at a late night party, uh, standing in line to go to the toilet, where the <laughs> toilet there um, is literally a hole in the ground at a late night party that was on the beach. I heard this guy speaking in English, and I realized it was not only was it English, but it was American kind of accent. So I said, "Hey, where are you from?" And he said, "Oh, I'm from Orange County." That Orange County. Really? Okay. <laughs> so we hit it off, and the next day we were uh, hanging around, and he took us out diving. So uh, I actually was dive certified somewhere else, but when I met him, we became fast buddies. And it's, it's very interesting that I later then introduced every person I knew who ever went to Thailand, who ever went to Samui, meets Carter. Yep. He's such a great guy. And uh, it's, you know, it's amazing how, again, what we were talking about earlier – just a random conversation, just engaging with somebody who's a local, changed my entire trip, changed my entire experience in Thailand, and changed m- many other people's experience now over the years because they know Carter from the one conversation I had with him waiting in line to go to the bathroom. Yeah. I mean, he was, uh, you know, a great. I've seen him twice, you know. I, I, I saw him the first time I went out there, and yep, uh, he right. set me up with a, a place to stay. Like a good hotel that he knew for like $10 a night. Yep. And then he just set me up with another place. And uh, he took me diving the first time I was out there. And I was just saw him. It was a brief trip this past one. But but I've also hung out with uh, uh, Nana. Nana Chin. Your friend Nana yeah. in yep. uh, Saigon. Yep. Right. Who, so I was like six degrees of Jerry my whole trip. Ah, not really. I was like, who else do? And people you know I ran into in uh, Cuba. Oh, when I, right. When I went right. to Havana, well, Adam. Right, Adam, the you, guy who got the aforementioned got, Adam. I right. I met when I was in Cuba. When I was telling you, I was I uh, was trying to go. He said, "Oh, a buddy of mine's going to be there around the same time." Hung out with them for two days. Right. Well, the, that's the power of Facebook, really. Yeah, is seeing, uh, and it's happened a few times, uh, where you see maybe somebody posts on their Facebook that they're going somewhere, and you saw another friend who posted something similar, and then you just put the two people together. Adam and Sergio were headed to Cuba, and then you said you were headed that way. So put the two things together, and next thing you know, the three of you guys are hanging out, having beers, and enjoying some music crazy. and cigars. Yeah, it yeah. was crazy. And that's pretty crazy, really. I mean, it can happen totally randomly, but it happened to a buddy of mine, uh, Robert Peters, who was going to go to Bangkok, and Adam was going to be in Bangkok. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I said, hey, they literally are neighbors. They live across the street from each other. <laughs> not even 30 feet from each other's front doors. And they didn't know that they were going to be in Bangkok at the same time. I saw it on Facebook. I connected the two of them and they hung out for a couple of days in Bangkok. So like, let's, let's go back a couple of years. Sure. Was it last year? Mm-hmm. I think uh, we were on break around the same time. It was like October or something. Mm-hmm. I remember I wanted to take a trip. I can't remember where I ended up going. Was that the Cuba one? Hmm. That may have well, been two years ago. Yeah, that might have been the Cuba one, and then uh, because you said, "Yeah, I'm going to be off around that same time," right? You said, "Well, I'm going to go to uh, Thailand for two weeks." Ended up being what three months? Two months. Two yeah. months. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, "You." Well, bastard. the thing is, I decided I was dying to. I was coming off a show, and I was dying to go someplace. And I wanted to return to to Thailand because I really love. Uh, so many things about the country, not only the, the, the north and the mountains, but the south and the beaches, but also the food and the people and the culture. Yeah. And, and, it, and it's also a really big country to try to cover. So you could go back four dozen times and still never feel like you saw everything. And most people who fall in love with Thailand will tell you the same thing. I mean, I've met people who went to Thailand and never left. 
Yeah, I met right? a few of those guys. And yeah, not just expats, <laughs> but people who are backpackers and travelers. Mm-hmm. They get to Thailand and maybe they meet the types of people, or they end up on a job on an island or whatever, and they they just stay because there's something magical about it. And the people, but, there's a natural friendliness and openness. Mm-hmm. To right. them and, that you don't see in other countries, and, and it's also a really fascinating culture. You know, yeah. it was not; it was a country that was never colonized. So, it and it has a kingdom. It's and very, boy, do they love that king? They do like their king. And oh he, yes, man, exactly. Oh, man. And uh, the, the the he's beloved by every person, <laughs> uh, which is really fascinating to see. Um, the a man who's dedicated his life. He became king when he was eighteen years old. He's been the king for over sixty years. Yeah. Uh, he's in ailing health now, and and of course, you know, the, the, I'm not sure what will happen to Thailand once he's gone. Yeah, um, I, I, but, I when I, even when I was there, I was hoping it was like, oh, well, I hope he hangs on until I can leave because once once he passes, that country is going to be in mourning for a long time, a really and, long time. And the, the, every business was going to shut down for a week, and I went, oh no, I don't want to well, be stuck we, here for the, that. Right, the the depth of love for him as a human being and a king is so deep that when something does happen, the, the people will be in mourning for a very, very long time. Yeah. 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 Uh, but anyway, so Thailand, to me, has always been, because I had these great experiences the first time I went there, and then fast forward only about a year and a half, and on Survivor, that next season, season five, is going to be in Thailand. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> I'm in. So Adam and I, travel to Thailand two weeks early and then travel around Thailand before we have to go to location. So that's when I went back to see Carter and we went diving again with Carter and I spent some time on Samui and we spent some time in Phuket and uh, What part of Thailand did the show shoot at? Way in the the south, down by the border. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, called Koh Tao, an island called Koh Tao, which once was a prison uh, many decades before. But a really nice, really remote place, uh, and, and it was beautiful to shoot there. It was super hot and really difficult, but it was a fantastic experience. That On that show where I, um, uh, the first few days I was there on location, um, I met a local girl who worked uh, on the crew who was a local Thai girl. And uh, she became my girlfriend. So I had a whole different viewpoint of Thailand at that point because then I had a really lovely Thai girlfriend who I was learning even more things about Thailand from. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, <clears throat> we were together for about two years or so. That means that we were together three different locations later in Panama and, and uh, uh, as well. So um, it was really, really a, a great experience that time and uh, and, uh, and uh, because I've wanted to explore more of the country and since Thailand is where it's located is a great jump off spot for other countries yeah like Bangkok is Cam- a big hub you right. can go anywhere in Asia pretty it's much. a great place to go because you can hop off and go to to Cambodia and Vietnam and and places like that or even India if you wish mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of places I haven't been but uh, uh, Burma I mean there's a lot of places around Thailand and the country itself like I say what happened this last time for me was I went for a couple of weeks without a real agenda. So the sh- the TV show I was supposed to return to, the start date of that show was delayed. So when I found out it was delayed, I thought, well, I'll stay another four or five days. And then I'll stay another three or four days. And then I'll stay another. Each time it was delayed, I stayed a few more days. So the two weeks turned into two months, not from planning, but literally from I'm already here. Why don't I stay? 
and what I was doing when I was there is I met up with a friend of mine who is a travel writer and a photographer and an artist. Um, she was constantly traveling to upgrade her books or write new articles for magazines about food and culture and travel. So she'd go, hey, do you want to go to uh, Chiang Mai? i go, sure, let's go. And <laughs> off we go to Chiang Mai. And then in Chiang Mai, we would check out several hotels, we would, uh, eat at three or four different places. Some of these things were updating one of our books, and some of these things were writing a new article about food in that city or something else. That's the perfect person to know was when you're traveling. Person. It's like, well, I'll go with a travel writer. I can, awesome. never, I can never imagine traveling again without someone like that. Yeah, <laughs> I know. You've been ruined. <laughs> now I've been ruined because it was truly amazing. She knew everything about the culture of her own country. Um, she, um, uh, her name is Nim, and she knows the history of the, of the, the Buddhism. She knows the history of the temples. She knows uh, the, the foods, the, the, the villages, um, all these things mixed together. Um, and she's also a photographer. She shoots all of her own photos for the, for the articles. Uh, and she's written 15 travel books. So she's either updating one of those travel books or writing a new one every day, wherever yeah. she goes. So we went to, to Saigon. We traveled all over uh, areas of Thailand and the mountains and in Bangkok. So I got to see Bangkok from a completely different perspective. I got to see Bangkok from the perspective of street food. Oh, I ate street that, food. Oh, the street food's so good. Right. I, and not traveling as a tourist. I literally stayed at her apartment so I wasn't living in a hotel. And I was, it was like my own apartment. Come and go as I, as I wish. Mm-hmm. And I also have some other friends in, in Bangkok from other travels that I've uh, had and other people that I've met. So – I was like, it was like living in Bangkok for a couple of months, which was really, really fascinating. You really see it from a different point of view. That's, that's, art, that's art gallery uh, shows. That's little neighborhood bars. That's uh, dinner at people's homes. Right. Um, it's street food on every corner and every section of town in the old Chinatown section or in the section near Lumpini Park. It, it, it was fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, I just yeah. wanted to go to the section where, as a white guy walking down the street by myself, I didn't want to be, uh, you know, approached fifty times every block by some guy asking me if I wanted. Hey, man, you need woman? You yeah, need, what do you yeah. need? Drugs? What do you need? What do you, well, what do you want? Yeah, the the, the key to like, that oh, is I just want to get to my hotel. That's what you want. To, what do you want? To, you want any taxi? What do you need? Yeah. Well, the the you want boy, you want man. What do you? Want? <laughs> well, you can find anything you want. You can, uh, but it, it's those certain sections of town are where that is. Yeah. What you realize also when you really hang out with locals is that you you may never go to those sections of town where that happens unless people want to go out to a certain bar or, or drink yeah. or whatever. Um, th- again, I learned a lot about. Uh, the the city of Bangkok by really just living there instead of just being there for a couple of days on my way to somewhere else. Yeah. So there's an incredible community of artists and photographers and journalists and musicians and filmmakers and writers. That whole expat community, uh, not expats who own a bar, but expats who live there for a cho- as a as right, they're not just retirees live there for, trying to live for you know, right. They're cheap. expats who live there for a reason because the city has a dynamic energy that you don't find anywhere else. Yeah, and that's the like most big cities, you know, a good big city. 
Right, right, right. <laughs> it's sort of like that, but I, and I don't know how to compare it to anything else except that you know it's the street food on the street. It's the dark and dingy areas next to the five star hotels. I mean, Bangkok is a really big metropolitan city with a lot of money. And a lot of poverty. Yeah. You know, there's some of the fanciest hotels and restaurants in the world are in Bangkok. But literally outside, 10 feet away, are people living in a shack or a homeless person or a, a poor handicapped person who's begging for money. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, really, it's really fascinating to see. And you might not see that if you weren't there long enough to experience it. So you went to Thailand. And then uh, so you've been to Panama with the show? Right. Uh, so the, 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 while I was on Survivor, uh, when I was on Survivor, I went to four or five countries. We did Africa. I was in Africa. I was in Thailand. We did Panama two times and then Guatemala. So I was on the show for five years and I did seven seasons of the show. Wow. Yeah, it was fun. It's great. I mean, I can't imagine a better Are most jobs job. a disappointment after that one? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> it's hard, to, you know. It was. You've it was ruined so free. again. You know, I, the thing is, is I, I, I was a, an associate producer, which is sort of the entry level producer on that stuff. So you got to do all the adventure. There's no job in the world that was like what we did. There were four associate producers, and on Survivor, the the uh, on Survivor, the contestants live on two different beaches. There's two associate producers assigned to each beach. So there's only four people in the world who are doing the job that you're doing, which is basically living with the contestants, living with the contestants, making sure they do this and they don't do that. You basically, you're quality control. You're their den mother. You watch and take care of them so that, you know, something doesn't happen or they don't do something they're not supposed to do. Um, okay. Now, and, as, as an exclusive here, now you can shed the light on this whole thing that people want to know as someone who's on the set. And uh, you see these people suffering and whatever. Right, and they truly suffer. Yeah. It's truly, you can't uh, affect them in any way. I mean, Correct. what kind of contact do they try to make with you? It's like, dude, just go to craft service and give me a sandwich. Oh, uh, well, that's the thing <laughs> is that they, they're under strict rules not to engage with us. Uh, well, the crew mostly, but as the producers, you have you have to engage with them. Yeah. But they're not supposed to come to you with, you know, those sorts of requests. Because they're not going to get anywhere anyway, and yeah. it just distracts from them actually experiencing what they're supposed to be doing. They're supposed to be in the experience, and we're not supposed to be there. We are there to document it as best we can. But they're truly living it and roughing it. They're not. Uh, right. right. It's not they a show are. that they put on for the camera. No, they're 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 truly there, and that's one of the things about the show. Contestants may think that they know everything about the show, and they can armchair quarterback from home and say, <laughs> "Oh, I can live out there in the in those conditions," but. It was proved over and over and over during the years of the show, and now the show has been on 24 seasons. That's amazing. Truly amazing. 25 year, oh Season 25 20, is in oh. the Philippines. They just came back from shooting that. Wow. Um, the, I saw it many times in person. They know everything about the game. They got their game plan in, in, in place. They get to the island, and the reality of sleeping in the conditions – in the sand, on the bamboo, with the bugs and crabs crawling over you and bats flying around, um, and lack of food and water on day two and three, you lose your composure. You, you, you have to have a very strong mind because that stuff is real. If you're taken away, everything you know has been stripped away from you, and you're left in your board shorts on an <laughs> island in the sand, in the wind, in the rain, 
and no food and very little water or dirty, stinky water that you're boiling. And that's the part they never figure out until they're there. And it really affects their game. So to, 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 you, have, you have to be able to make an adjustment and have a very strong mind in order to stay in the game and work through the hardship that it is really being there. Yeah. So you've, you just went back to do some uh, editing for that show, right? Or you just you took some time off. You did some other shows. Well, I've been, I've been away from Survivor for several years, six years. Yeah, and you and said you came back, and it was amazed that you know, it, it really is a great job because all the producers were the same. <laughs> well, like, well, yeah, well, it never happens of, on a show. There was like no turnover. Well, the show's been on the air now since 2000, 2000 I 2000, believe. 2000, yeah. Right. So uh, it's, there are a lot of people who work on the show who've been there since then. Wow. Some of the editors, a uh, couple producers here and there, some people here and, and on, on location are as well. Um, it was a great job. And nobody ever expected the show to last this long. So no. some people just stayed there for forever, and they're still there. Some of the editors who work on the show have been there since the very beginning. And I recently got a chance to go back to the show and produce a couple of episodes in post-production um, and got to go back to the office, and there are the editors I worked with all those years ago. Wow. It was, it was old home week. But if they're doing two – you basically do two seasons a year. Yeah. You're not, uh, you're not home much. You know, that, that's a rough – well, when a lot I was, of these guys have families, and I mean, is it, is that's it kind tough of the, on them? True. That, that's kind of the, the way it is in, in, in production, mm-hmm. whether it's movies or TV. Oh, I if know. you're working a lot, you're gone. And yeah. the first five years I was in my apartment after returning from uh, Africa and finding an apartment, actually, it was actually, I didn't have an apartment for a year and a half <laughs> because I returned to the Thailand location and I still didn't have an apartment. So when I came back from Thailand, I finally got an apartment. And right after, uh, right about the time nine eleven happened, and that for the next several years, I was only in my apartment half of the year. The rest of the time, I was on location. So, do you have someone that you uh, trust to take care of there, like pick up your mail and do all this right, other stuff? And yeah, say, I'd, I'd hey, have, I want to stay two more months in uh, Thailand. Yeah, it was it was <laughs> kind of difficult. Yes, that was tough because you have to rely on a friend to to do your mail that you didn't plan on if you yep. decide to extend a trip. If you uh, gotta have good neighbors. Right, and I do. I have a good neighbor and a couple of good friends who could do that kind of stuff. It's very helpful. And then what happened, what happened to your car? I mean, there's all these things that deal with travel. Did you sell your car? Did you park it somewhere? Is it good while it's there? Can you stay a little longer? When I was in Thailand this last time and I extended my trip, I did have to arrange a couple of things so people took care of issues for me. But in the modern day uh, age of, of uh, texting and yeah. emails, and I pay much my bills online. That's what, I, that's what I did for three months. When right. I was pay gone. your bills online. Uh, it's much easier to do today than it was back in those days. Right. And you were just in Alaska, ago. right? Yeah. Well, yes. I, ju- I just returned from Alaska a couple of days ago where I went up there to uh, explore and, and, and check out a show that I'm going to be doing. Uh, the show is for Discovery, and it's called Alaska, The Last Frontier. It's a really cool show about homesteaders who live on the, up in Alaska who live off the land. Uh, this, is, this show is about a family who four generations have been living, on the, living off the land there. When you say living off the land, the, the, this is like government land or like public No, their land. land. So it's their land. Yeah. So They homesteaded it. By homesteading, Back, I mean, like 200 years ago, their family went up there. And, yeah, well, a 65 years ago or something, the father arrived yeah, okay. there from Switzerland and, and homesteaded. 
and I don't know the details about how they acquired the land back in the day or not, but they have you know like six hundred acres. So do they have like their own uh, like they, generator and they and build? Like that? Well, each fa- each each there's the f- the two sons and their sons and various other members of the family. Uh, who live off the land. They live in small primitive houses that they build themselves. They don't have indoor plumbing, so they have outhouses. They do have electricity, but they live off the land. They don't really have jobs. They hunt and fish and trap and build and scavenge, whatever it is to get by. And it's really fascinating because they're really, really doing it. And uh, it, it's, and it's also sort of the heritage of the grandfather and the, the and the, his two sons and then their sons and their sons. It's really a fascinating show. What part of Alaska was this? It's near be? Homer, Alaska. Okay. Homer's a small fishing village, um, uh, but not too far outside of Homer. Uh, they have their property where they live. So it's, I just went I'm, – I'm working on this show, just started. So I just went up there to meet the family themselves, meet all the, the, the characters, the wives and everything else. And then I, I came back here where I'm going to supervise the show and post and put the shows together for, uh, for Discovery. I always find Alaskans uh, – it really is the final frontier. They, they, they have that on their license plate right? or the last frontier or something mm-hmm. like that. There's a lot of people yeah. – they specifically went up there to get away from – people correct <laughs> you know they really there's that spirit up there that they really they moved up there for a reason well when you say the word alaska it it's conjures wild, up yeah. visions of everything uh everything everything from the native people to bears to the wilderness <laughs> to a sled with dogs to i mean all of these things still today uh it, it, it's that way and so people have been going to alaska uh, either homesteading or hiding away like the hippies did back in the 60s and 70s, the draft dodgers or whatever. I mean, there's a sense of freedom there. There's a sense of the final frontier. It's a bit like the Old West. And yeah. when we're up there with this family who lives off the land, you're getting a real taste of it. We're not going to Anchorage and going to dinner. Yeah. We're talking about going to their log cabin they built, and they're getting food from their root cellar. And they have frozen uh, salmon from last winter. You know, it, the, the idea of the show is summer there is only three months long. During that small, tiny window, they have to provide all – they have to – Stock up. Right. During that small <laughs> – yeah, stock up. They have to shop up. They have to stock up all of the supplies and food they need to get through the winter. And that's firewood and and all types of food. That means either growing your food or that's fishing or hunting for bear or moose or porcupine or whatever it is, right? You have to you have to gather enough that's going to make it through those long, long winter months for you and your family. So you've seen hunters and gatherers not only in Ala- in Alaska but also in Africa. Sure, <laughs> it's a, the, so different, but yet. Really the same in, in a lot of ways, right? Well, it's interesting. I never thought of it that way. But yes, the, the local tribes that we met and it, the local tribes that we met in Africa uh, live off the land like that. They don't probably have as much choices as, yeah. as maybe they do in Alaska. But it's just as harsh. Uh, I mean, it's a harsh life in, in Alaska during the wintertime when you're living off the land and you're not living in a city. Oh, yeah. Right? Um, well, you know, they ride winter. horseback. They they do. Uh, they have cattle. A couple of people have cattle. They have old tractors. And when something breaks, you have to fix it yourself. Um, 
So it was a good trip for me because I got to go meet everybody and get a flavor of it, uh, which is fascinating. I'd been to, to Alaska one other time, but just for a short trip. Uh, I find it fascinating. I'd love to go back. I do want to go back in the summertime and see what it's like when it's green. It's just now the spring breakup, yeah. which is the the transition period between the, fall. the winter, yeah, the winter <laughs> and and when things turn green and it's summertime. Yeah, I was there in yeah. August, the only time I went, and it was, uh, you know, it was even then. I think I think it finally got dark at about ten thirty at night or something like it. It yeah. just it was a long day, so your sleep on, gets all weird. Yeah, it's it, that that can mess with you, and it does. You know, or the opposite is in the wintertime where you only have like six hours of daylight. Oh, that would yeah. At that point, in, in 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 down where Homer is, yeah, yeah. So it's it's uh, it, you know, so the we, world is a fascinating place, you know. And and I I just I just can't get enough of it. I can't get enough of going to these places and learning about what people do um, or how they live, you know. When you tell these stories, when you go back to your town in Kansas, where you admit that, like a lot of people, they just never leave. You know, they really never leave. What do they ask you? I mean, what do they think you're living like the the craziest lifestyle? Can they even imagine some of the stuff that you've seen, or do they think you're nuts, or, or are they envious? What do you find? Well, uh, it's it's it, it's interesting. Um, I for a guy who never really traveled until he was older, and the reason was I never really knew much about traveling because you know, I was from a poor family and we didn't, you know, making a trip to California in a car, that was the biggest thing ever. Yeah. Right. So, but nobody in my family ever had a passport or a need for one to, to be from a small town. It's sort of like, I, you know, I, 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 sometimes I think it's like George Bailey and it's a wonderful life. George Bailey wanted to travel all over the world and he had those pamphlets in his hand and he couldn't wait to go explore the world because he knew about it and he read about it. For me, it was sort of like I didn't know about the world, but I thought there must be something outside the city limits of this little town. I didn't know what. I had no idea what, really, other than just what I saw on television as a kid. Yeah. But I knew there must be something else out there. So I've spent my adult life looking for that. However, the first several years of of adult life, going to college, I spent my holidays what little vacation that I had going through college and working college jobs was back home in Kansas in the small town. My brother and sister both had kids uh, at that time, and I wanted to spend as much time with those kids when they were that age as I could. And I could go back and be the cool uncle from California, (laughs) and I could take them fishing. I could take them riding go-karts. We could go hiking on the railroad tracks. I could take them to Indian Cave. (laughs) I could do all of these things, right, that their dad never had time to do. So I had a really, really close relationship with those kids, and I I did it until they were teenagers. So uh, another reason why I never traveled anywhere, I spent my holidays going back to Kansas, Believe it or not, even though when I was 17, I couldn't wait to get out of there. Yeah. <laughs> so when that backpacking trip happened all those years later, it just opened the door to to the quest, the thirst, sorry, the thirst to go even more. And that's like, oh, my gosh, why didn't I do this when I was 20 with a backpack? Right. I don't know. Fear, maybe. Lack of funds or both, lack of knowledge. Probably, probably right. both, all yeah. three. Yeah. I mean, so then sitting in the middle of Africa, looking up at the stars and realizing I was there. And what happened on my birthday, my grandmother passed away while I was in Africa. 
And I looked up at the stars and I thought, wow, what is life? What are we doing here? How big is the universe? Well, I came back from that trip with a different perspective on the world. I didn't care as much about Hollywood itself or Hollywood parties or fancy anything to do with this town. I was more interested in being a human being and learning more about other peoples and cultures. So that, that trip changed me forever. Yeah. And it brought you here. And it brought me uh, here to this apartment. <laughs> well, Jerry, I've, I'm so glad you finally made it, man. Well, it's I've been, been, waiting, I, I've been waiting for a while for you to yeah, get here. Me, yeah, me I'm, too. It's a, lot, it's a lot to talk about. Uh, uh, you know, I wish it, there's no way to condense it down. But uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what, it's, it's a, I, I've admired, uh, you know, you as a traveler too because, uh, as I said earlier, I, to just decide to go and then to take the trip that you did this year to make a big plan to do a really long trip and cover a lot of territory is impressive. To answer your question about what people think maybe in my small town – about my travels, well, you got to think of it this way. Most average people who have a regular boring job and work from paycheck to paycheck who don't travel or are afraid of traveling or don't even know that they should travel think that we're Indiana Jones. (laughs) And we're not. Yeah. Right? You just have to accept that travel – isn't that complicated, but it depends on your environment. If you were raised as a, as a, uh, in a family that traveled, then you don't even think about it. Yeah. If you didn't and you're from a small town, making a trip to Texas from Kansas is a big deal. So making a trip to Vegas is a big deal. Oh, yeah, yeah. But in a small town, they, you know, they, they, they look at you like you are bigger than life when you're really not. You know, uh, I've only barely even scratched the surface of anything. There are many, many cultures and countries I want to go see, and there's just not enough time in a lifetime to do it. Thanks, Jerry. You bet, Mike. Thanks, man, for bringing me in, and and, uh, I really hope that some of these things were helpful. And and remember, it's great. Always take a jacket and a towel. Jacket and a towel. (laughs) 